0: Hello and welcome back to the Men You're Not Alone podcast. This is episode 36 and it's a continuation of the one I did previously to this about the natural world. And I cut the last one off and then I had a few more thoughts that popped into my mind and I didn't want to make the previous one 45 minutes long. It was longer than I'd planned. But I wanted to throw this in because I have it it, it ties into this production consumer Um, And how the production-consumer feedback loop that I discussed in the prior episode uh, spills into and, in my opinion, somewhat ruins our ability or our our, it becomes an obstacle to us plunging into the natural world as men. And so this is something I have seen coming from the West um, in the Rockies to the Southeast is that you don't have the remoteness that you do out West. It's not rugged. I mean, there's places where you can find ruggedness and stuff, but it's not everywhere out West. It's rugged. It's vast. And it's, it goes on for thousands of miles here. It's, you kind of have to, you're sort of, this was a tough change for me to come to this part of the country because it is largely the man-made version of the natural world. Like, here's a little area where you can go. Uh, when I was a forest ranger, my my area was 1,320 square miles. Not 1,320 acres, not 130,000 acres. It was 1,320 square miles of remote. And outside of that was just more remote. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles of more remote. And there would be little towns, you know, sp- laced into that. But, you know, if I went north out of my turf, I could go to Montana. I could probably get to uh, somewhere around Sheridan, Wyoming before I passed a town or had to go through a town up in the Buffalo Range, up in that area in Wyoming, northern Wyoming. And so coming down here, what I want to tie together is this production, consumption, feedback loop. And how it impacts the natural world. So what I've seen since I came here. Being part. uh, Having a connection to the natural world. What I see here is that translates often to buying outdoor gear. It's equipping yourself for the outdoors. With this consumer deception. That you have to have a bunch of gear to do it. And because I've spent much of my life without much money. I have throughout the course of my life learned how to love life and experience it without two sticks to rub together. And I have discovered that you don't need a lot of money to do that. And I don't travel off to Belize and Europe and I have not gone on a safari in Africa. I have not you know, wandered through the the Andes, or I have not gone to the southern tip of Chile. But I don't have the money for that. So I make the best of what I have around me. And I have grown up that way. Um, it's from growing up with, you know, very, very little. And I wouldn't change that for the world because it taught me how to to take advantage of what I have and, and make the most of it. And it's amazing what that has blessed me with throughout my life. But here, one example came to mind. So I live in a very fast growing small town and I am, you know, I'm one of the builders here and I am adding to that growth to help meet the demand of people pouring into this area. I grew up, I didn't know that there were fish other than trout and kokanee salmon like that. I mean, I knew there were like sometimes you could catch crappie or like a occasionally a bass in a lake, but out west where I was from, the water was cold. It's not conducive to uh the fish that are in the southeast that like the warm water. So I grew up eating uh, trouts all I knew. I knew how to catch them. I loved them. I, to this day I still love trout. Um and it's just what I grew up eating. I grew up catching fish that in water that I knew was exceedingly clean. Like I could drink from the water source from which I took my fish, my dinner. So as I came to the south, there are, the water's not warm enough. It's it's too warm here to sustain trout. So there's a really short window in the wintertime where the water's cold enough. So the state will stock some trout in different areas and they don't live very long uh, because the water is either dirty it's not cold enough. Trout have to have really cold, really clean water. And it, I grew up with kind of the rule of thumb that if a trout can't live in it, I don't want to eat from it. They're sort of the canary for the coal mine. They're a good gauge in my mind of where it's safe to eat something, where it's safe to get your dinner from. And and so when they stock some of these areas, there's a couple close to me and then more as you get farther out, a handful of them. And when the stock truck comes to dump trout and, and some of the little streams that they dump the trout in, they're tiny. I mean, I with a good running start and a pair of tennis shoes, I could probably jump three fourths of the way across them. I mean, I'm talking a lot of them are 10 or 12 feet across. They're little. They're maybe a foot deep there's no way a trout's going to live in that, but they dump them in there. And, and it's like, it's like a convention is taking place at the site where they dump. And I've marveled for years that the, the truck will pull in. Cause they'll say when they're going to stock a certain spot, there may only be a hundred foot stretch of that stream that is publicly accessible. And they'll back in and dump all the trout in there and, it's not uncommon to find 50 or 60 guys standing there waiting for the truck to dump them in the water to catch them without fail. The majority of those guys. So, I mean, it's shoulder to shoulder. Like they, they squeeze into the shoreline and, and, and like, it's, it's like being at the mall to me. Like it looks so stressful to me. Like it is the antithesis of why I would want to go fishing or why I would want to be in the natural world. If I want to be that cramped, I'm going to go sit on a city bus and ride it. And also those men there, you can always tell a new fly fisherman because he's got $800 worth of gear on. And I used to watch this in Colorado all the time. And I mean, I would, all I ever wore was a pair of shorts. I had a pair of keen sandals because they were indestructible. They were good in the water and, and a little tiny uh, satchel that would barely hold a softball. And that's it. in my fly rod. And that's, a, that's all I fished with. I would hike and, fish and spend a whole day with almost nothing. But new fishermen would always go get a ton of gear and they would have so much. I mean, they go spend $800 because of this production consumer mindset that we've been ingrained with that tells us to participate in the outdoors. We have to have all the gear. And in reality, I know having grown up with nothing or very little and then, Throughout my life, either losing stuff, like losing so much in moments of my life, I've had no opportunity to not be reminded that I can totally do this with nothing. And I like that. I like to be more of a minimalist anyway. And you don't need a bunch of gear to go outside and enjoy the natural world. You don't need a a $300 sleeping bag. You don't need an $800 tent. By choice for most of my life, you know, I mean, until I was in my early 30s, I mean, I carried a small piece of canvas to wrap around my sleeping bag. That was my camping gear. And I would throw a pot into an old army backpack and I would just grab what food I have. You don't have to have, you know, $10 backpacking food meals and stuff. I used to take bagels. I would make jerky. I would take ramen noodles, whatever I had or what I could afford. That's what I took with me. I didn't take I mean, dehydrated backpacking food, especially back when I was younger, it was so outrageously expensive. I mean, I don't even take it with me now because it's just so expensive. And I've always done just fine. It's not about the gear. It's about the experience. If you are using it as an obstacle that you need to have gear or you are of the mindset that to experience the outdoors, you have to have a lot of gear. And I watch like... Uh, I look at hunting out West versus hunting in the Southeast out West. It's rugged. You're going to earn every single 200 yards that you hike. And you have to constantly be aware of what you have to drag that animal out of. You kill an elk. You better make sure you can get that thing out because it, 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 they move fast. It's rugged and, and it can, it can take you forever to get an animal the size of an elk or a moose out from something that took you 3 hours to hike into. It may take you 6 hours carrying a quarter of an animal back out and then you're exhausted. So you so you travel light. To hunt out west, you travel light so that you can you can move under rigorous environmental conditions and still have energy left to to take that animal out after you kill it. Down here where I'm at, guys show up with a pickup full of gear, a trailer full of gear, ATVs, and all this stuff. And and most of the time, they can nearly back up to where they're going to hunt. But there's so much consumer deception that you think you have to have all this gear, when in reality, you can just grab your rifle, go out to the woods, and shoot a deer. That's what we d- did out west. And you can hunt everything. You just need a rifle and some basic staples in a light pack. And you can go cover vast regions of rugged areas. And And that's just a couple of illustrations that I've seen in a contrast. Don't get stuck in the mindset that you have to have expensive gear. or that you, I mean, you need a few basic things. And that's it. But you don't have to have expensive things. You can take care of what you have. And if you can afford a $15 sleeping bag then a $15 sleeping bag will work. If you need to take an extra blanket, take a blanket. You don't need an expensive tent. You don't need a $400 rain suit. You don't need all this bushcraft stuff. You don't need a backpack that's loaded with 40 pounds of gear to go out and sit next to a fire, catch a fish out of a stream, collect some berries from the ground, and enjoy the experience. You don't need all that. And it's... it's. In my mind it's a, it's one more thing that has been created it's just a market that has pushed into something that helps to hamstring men in, in a very critical aspect of their life and that is a connection to the natural world i can tell you that i have outside of my boots i have always spent a lot of money on the boots i rely on especially my hiking boots like i buy handmade danner boots they cost a fortune They last forever and they have never failed me in 35 years, 36 years. I've been through a bunch of pairs of them. They have never let me down. I will not get stranded somewhere without good boots. As long as I can walk out, I can live to fight another day. But other than that, my life experiences with the natural world have been, I guess, more than most people. And it's only with age that I've realized that as I move around the country more and get to visit and get to know more men more. We all have this hunger. Men have a hunger for the natural world. And I used to kind of uh, laugh a little bit under my breath when I watched men pile up on the edge of a small stream, shoulder to shoulder with, you know, very expensive fly rods, $800 worth of wading gear and nets. And I mean, it's if if you fly fish for a long time, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. But And I used to kind of chuckle a little bit when I saw that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so broken. But I realized it's men trying to get back into connection with something that they know they're missing. And it's that connection to the natural world. But their first step was to go buy $800 or $1,000 or $1,500 worth of gear. And they saw that as the price of entry into that outdoor experience. And that is not the case. It doesn't need to be the case. In fact, you spend all your time focused on your gear instead of the experience. And sometimes having the, a lot of my survival skills have come from not having a lot of money to buy high-end equipment. And I had to make do. You know, I had to learn how to mend a tent. I had to learn how to get a fire going in a raging snowstorm, or after a long rain, I had to learn how to build a shelter up underneath a big spruce tree or something because I just, what I had would not sustain the environment I was in or what came in in the weather. Those were trying times. They were the best of times. Those were the best experiences where I learned a lot. And it's in that, that momentary kind of perceived hardship that I learned that I have the ability inside of me, God gave me a critical, a mind that can do critical thinking and you can figure out and adapt and work around it in that it, it, it only strengthens that connection to the natural world. Like I can survive in this place. I can thrive in this place. I used to go in my minimalist nature. I would take off for nine or 10 days. Uh, I'm not going to say where It's in Colorado there was a particular range I used to go to uh, frequently because it got me away from everybody. It was kind of, it was off the beaten path. Very few people knew just how vast it was. And it, it was full of trout. It was just awesome. So I would go for nine or 10 days. And a lot of times I'd go by myself. I wouldn't even take a flashlight. I'd take no tent. I would take no matches. I used to take just my flint and steel. And um, I would take one canteen. My water, my water purifier, a sleeping a sleeping bag, and that was it. And I had to catch my food. I would take a little bit of something. I don't know why I used to take bagels with me. Um, I would throw four or five bagels in my in a ziploc and toss them in my bag. But I I would go with the full intention that I have no choice. I don't have a light, so therefore I have to have fire if I want to see at night. I don't have matches. I don't have some torch. I don't have any ferro rods, anything like that. I have to learn how to make a fire with flint and steel in the most harsh conditions. I have to learn it or I I will freeze. And I had one canteen, one little quart canteen, a little plastic military thing, cost me like $2 at, at the surplus store. So I had to pay attention to where the water was. And sometimes I'd have to sit at the water and drink a couple of them because I knew it was going to be a little ways before I got to the next water source. Um, I had to catch my dinner. I didn't take a fishing pole. I took a little, uh, there used to be a cough drop called sucrets, and they came in a little clear tube with a pop-on lid. That was my fishing kit. It was small. I mean, it held like a dozen cough drops. And I would just stuff fishing line, a few weights, some hooks. I didn't take bait with me. I had to find bugs or worms, something I had to make do. I had to go find berries. It made me learn where strawberries grow, where blueberries grow. Uh, the open rocky areas where raspberries were, if I could beat the bears to them, you know, and I knew I had to catch my dinner that I never came out of the woods more alive than in those times. And I remember one nine day trip I took by myself, a friend was supposed to go with me. He did. In fact, he went with me. We got, we hiked about 10 miles to some lakes. I mean, the access point was remote. It was three hours, two and a half hours from town. It was a rough road getting even to where the access point was. Then it was a 10-mile grueling hike. Uh, like it, it is, It's a very brutal hike to two beautiful lakes that sit way back in the middle of this range. They're full of golden trout, and it's great. And, and most people at that time did not even know where they were. And plus, the hike was brutal. So it, it didn't get any traffic. After the first night, the second day, he told me he had to leave. So because I won't abandon somebody he wasn't as well versed in the woods as I was and I said there's no way I mean I once I got done being mad because he had told me he was coming for the full duration of the nine or ten days he did not tell me till we got to the very end of our destination that he had to leave the next day so uh, once I cooled off and I told him I said look I can't I'm not sending you back out of here ten miles by yourself I, 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 I'll be a nervous wreck wondering if you injured yourself on the way out did you get lost? Did you did you go in the wrong direction? And now you're, who knows? You're halfway to. I mean, you're ten miles south of the Wyoming border, and starving to death. So, I put my gear under a tarp and I walked all the way back down with him. And it had started raining, and I walked the ten miles back down. He part he went back to town, and I um, I slept in my pickup, and. Then the next morning, I turned and walked back up to where I was camped. It rained for all nine of those days. It never stopped raining once it started, and everything was soaked. I still had to do all of those things to make it. And I made myself do it because I wanted to know I could do it. And I did. And I did it with almost no gear whatsoever. It didn't cost me much of anything at all. I didn't go buy anything for the trip. You don't need a lot of crap to go experience the outdoors. Quit focusing on the gear if that's what you're doing. The gear is just a distraction. It will take away from the experience. If you can afford it, grab a few key pieces of gear. that won't let you down. But don't focus on that. Focus on the experience. I mean, I've been all over, been blessed to be all over the place, to see the Redwoods, to see Explore Montana, all through Idaho. I mean, the deserts of the South the the high deserts of the southwest, up and down the coast of, of California, all the way to Maine, and then a little bit into Canada. I did it all on a shoestring budget with nothing, almost no gear. And I have lived a life of exploration and adventure without much of anything to do it with. And And I know for a fact you don't need a bunch of gear to do it. If you're using it as an excuse that you you just need this next piece of gear and then you can go, stop. Get out of that loop. Get out of that feedback loop. You don't need it. You need the experience more than you need the gear. I would not necessarily head off on a two week expedition across Alaska without some really good gear, but you don't have to go do that. It doesn't have to be one extreme or the other. Do what your situation allows to do. The most important thing is that you get out of your comfort zone and you go into the natural world with what you have the ability and the capacity to do. And every time you go do that, your abilities will increase. Pick up a new skill. Pick up a new ability to do something. Learn how to make a fire. Learn how to start identifying edible plants, berries. Where do you find them? How do you catch different kinds of fish? There is something you can learn every time you go out. And if you will do that repeatedly, it might surprise you after a couple of years the skill set that you have acquired for traveling light and experiencing the natural world in greater distances or greater degrees of remote. And, and it, it just, it's like the reward. It's like a V it opens outward and it, it's in those trying those struggles without everything that you think you need where you learn what you have inside of you to experience the world that God made. And it does not require $2,000 worth of gear for every little thing you go do. Just go experience it, whatever you can swing. All right, that's it. And I hope that you have a good rest of the day. I will catch you on the next one.